0: Oh, I'm Bishop Jeff Clements of the Northern Illinois Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And this is another one of our conversations with the bishop on topics that uh, we hope you will find interesting. I have a very special guest today, a friend of mine, Bishop Craig Satterley. He serves the Northwest Lower Michigan Synod of the ELCA. And today, we're going to talk about preaching Sacraments and Theological Constructs in the Digital Age, or we'll see where the conversation goes. Craig, thank you so much for uh, having me. Thanks for having me. Let me just tell you a little bit about Bishop Satterley. Um, He was the 2019 John S. Barton Faculty Fellow in Homiletics and Visiting Associate Professor in the Department of Theology at the University of Notre Dame. Prior to being called to the office of Bishop, Craig served as the Axel Jacob and Gerda Marion Swanson Carlson Professor of Homiletics at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago and Dean of the Axe Doctor of Ministry program uh, in preaching. Craig was ordained in 1987 and he has served congregations in upstate New York and Michigan before teaching at LSTC. But while he was a seminary professor, Bishop Satterley served as an interim or consulting pastor in Chicago area congregations. He is known for regularly leading continuing education events. And in fact, Craig, I will remind you that you were with the Northern Illinois Synod a few years ago for a leaders conference. I remember having a drink with you. Yep. Firmly grounded in parish ministry, Bishop Satterley names uh, as a priority of his ministry preaching and presiding in congregations of the synod as a tangible expression of the unity of the church. Well, I think that's my favorite thing to do is to be out with congregations. Uh, Bishop Satterley received the uh, Bachelor of Arts degree in Political Science and Rhetoric from the University of Michigan, his MDiv and STM uh, from Trinity Lutheran Seminary in Columbus, Ohio, and his MA and PhD in Homiletics and Liturgical History from the University of Notre Dame. Bishop Satterley is the author of eight books and numerous articles in both scholarly and ecclesiastical journals. His scholarly interests include the intersection of preaching and areas of congregational life and mission, including liturgy, spirituality, church, mission and leadership. He also studies patristic preaching, most notably that of Ambrose of Milan and the worship of the early church. And I believe your next book is entitled Preaching, Yoked to Jesus, Reclaiming Our Calling. That is, the
1: work, that is the working title. The publisher always gets the right to change it.
0: But the book is finished, right? It is.
1: Yes. Yep. We're looking at a, a release date, a publication date of spring 2023.
0: Excellent. Yep. I will look forward to uh, reading that when it comes out. Thank you. And as a, a person who is legally blind, Dr. Satterley has a passion for ministry with persons with disabilities and a unique perspective on the Christian faith and world. How's that for an introduction?
1: Very nice. <laughs> it's, uh, almost yeah. I, it's almost as if I wrote it myself.
0: <laughs> you may have. <laughs> you know, some things I'm supplied. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so... Um, and, Craig, I, I mean no disrespect. I just no. need to know that I mean no respect when I call you, Craig. Uh, in our synod, yeah. uh, the tradition is very strong that the bishop is addressed to bishop and pastors are addressed pastor. pastor. Yeah. Um, but uh, I can, I slip into that friendship. We're friends. And, uh, and we'll yeah. call you Craig.
1: That's
0: so, fine. Yeah. We are friends. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> We will still be friends when we're done with exactly. this That's right. That's conversation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I called you a couple of weeks ago to uh, see if you'd be willing to do this conversation with me, I, uh, I was intrigued by something that you had said somewhere along the line, and I quoted it to you, and you said I'd gotten it pretty close to right, so I'm going to try to do that again and see if that can begin our conversation. Uh, the quote was something like you saying, uh, we have developed in the church through the ages, we have developed um, some really poor theology around some bad practices uh, that uh, that we have engaged in. Is that something close to what you said? That's
1: pretty close. That's right. Yep. Yep. Let's talk. Let's flesh that
0: out a little bit.
1: Yeah. So what we want to think is we lay out our theology, and then we do our practice. But realistically, you know, worship is primary theology. That's our first theology. And then we reflect on what we do in worship, and that becomes secondary or systematic or formal theology. So worship practices take the lead, and then we come up with the 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 theological meaning or rationale for them. And the problem arises when we have bad practices, and the theology that that spills out or, you know, um, is not something we're comfortable with or we agree with or whatever. So, I mean, just some small pieces. Uh, first, to show that how easy people attach theology to stuff. When I was a young pastor, I went to one of my very first funerals and it was at the graveside. And you know how it is, Jeff, there's the the, the coffin is on a is on a is on a stand, and there's the hole in the ground, and there's dirt all around with the the green tarp over it, and I don't see well, and I caught my foot in this the pile of dirt, and I went over and almost collided with the coffin, but pulled myself back up and did the graveside. Okay. Yes. Months later, that was, that was grandpa. Months later, grandma died. Same funeral, same cemetery, same setup. I was, I was as sure as a mountain goat. You know what I mean? I did not trip on the dirt. It was great. Afterwards, the family came to be very upset. Why did I reverence grandpa's coffin, <laughs> <but> not grandma's? <laughs> we assign meaning. Um, I had in my second call, I had a little girl that really wanted to be an acolyte, but she could not reach the candles. So we figured out that if we painted the wicks of the candles with nail polish remover, and if she got the wick near there, it would be flame on, right? Right. So we did this, and it worked great. And I'm standing in the back of the church, um, proud of myself as the service begins. But one of the altar guild ladies come, making a beeline down the down the aisle, and started scolding me as the prelude as the hymn starts, because Catherine had lit the the gospel candle before the epistle candle. <laughs> I'm like, what? The epistle comes before the gospel in the service, so the the epistle gospel, which is the one on the right, gets lit before the gospel candle, which is the one on the left. Well, I had kind of taught her left to right. That's (laughs) theological meaning. Well, I found out later that some pastor had taught taught, that because everybody was doing it different, here is the way to remember. Well, that became theological significance. Uh, well now takes something like we pastorally respond to people who who come into the office with a baby and say I know I've not a member of the church you know but I really need to get my baby done couldn't you do it here this afternoon and we want to be pastoral so we do the baptism in the on Thursday afternoon with the couple in the in the church and it's lovely and they're very grateful and then we realize that the reason people are panicked to get their kids done quickly even they know they have even though they have no relation to the church is somehow we have taught along the way that god turns god's back on unbaptized children Mm. so we need to get it done if we die if they die And in in agreeing to this baptism, rather than sitting with the folk, we have reinforced the notion that our God will turn God's back on innocent children. Bad practices can yield bad theology.
0: You know, we're in a funny time with this uh, pandemic because we were forced into making some very quick changes in worship. Um, About the 15th of March of 2020. Exactly. Yeah. In Northern Illinois, we're scrambling to figure out how do we do worship when we can't be in our buildings. Right. Uh, some were able to pivot right away and some took another week, but almost yep. every congregation um, figured out how to do an online worship service. Yep. One of the, the, the things that, that we need to talk about at some point uh, is uh, communion practices. Yep. I think we kind of figured out baptism. Though I'm not sure, because I saw a couple of kind of crazy things happen. But communion is another. Do you want to talk about baptism and communion a little bit about yeah. uh, where we are in the digital age? Yeah,
1: I mean, what's interesting, I just saw something last night where this a pastor, not in our synod, but an ELCA pastor, is writing this long thing about why you can't be Christian and not come to worship. <laughs> mm. Because... Everybody is going, I kind of like, not everybody, but many people are like, I kind of like worshiping online, right? Yeah. Um, this is settled in nice where I could be in my jammies and have meet <laughs> the press on in the background or whatever. And so this, this pastor is trying to make the case of going, no, 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 you really need to be back in the building. To, to really worship. Well, the problem is when you take word and sacrament out of worship and do it online, what does it mean for Lutherans to really worship? Right? Yes. Um, you know, and so we, we quickly in some places pastorally responded to communion, and then we tried to figure out, well, of course Christ can be really present over the internet. Can Jesus? Is that the same nature of communion because if it is i mean some of my examples is i'm really excited because when we have openings in this synod i'll just tell everybody to tune in to me at 10 and i'll i'm being very sarcastic here i'll just do communion over the internet for all our churches that don't have pastors and we won't need supply pastors you know we didn't think about we didn't think about those things um, so I think we do need to think about what, what is the reason to gather for worship if it's not um, word and sacrament. Um, and then it gets really bizarre for me. I mean, um, Melinda Quivick, who taught at Philadelphia, she noted that um, when, when radio came to the prairie, um, we didn't put a phone on the altar so shut-ins could tune in and listen we said you needed to be there Mm. so what is different now um if you're in your house taking communion and your neighbor comes and your neighbor i don't know what for what wants to come in do you let them or is communion somehow a closed table to who's in the house or do you need to have to have an apple I'm looking at my, my iMac and Apple TV and internet access in order to be a member of the church. Well, that's kind of a justice exclusive issue. Right. right. And then for me, I, you know, cause now I'm hearing that we're not only doing communion online, we're recording communion online so that people can take it at their leisure, which seems really strange to me. Um, can I record myself presiding and then later in the day go back and take communion from me. Hmm. And then I, I watch the Vatican every Christmas Eve at 1130. I watch the Papal Mass. Never have I understood that if I put bread and wine on the, on the table next to me, I can commune with the Pope. So what changed? And I don't think we've asked those questions.
0: When do you suppose we will ask those questions?
1: Um, I think we will ask those questions when, when the unanticipated consequences of what we did during the pandemic uh, rear their heads.
0: How do you think that'll happen?
1: Uh, I wonder how many people will come back to church.
0: Yeah, and that's a, that's a huge question in, in talking to our rostered ministers okay. here in uh, northern Illinois. Um, they're trying to figure out what, what will it be like after the okay. pandemic, after we're out of it. What about those people who are very comfortable worshiping in their jammies and feel that they are being fed that way? Okay. Um, how many people will we have actually back in the building?
1: And then for me, okay, so, you know, I'm a member of St. John's by the, gla- by the gas station where Jeff Clements is the pastor, right? And Jeff, yes. Clements, Jeff Clements has this way of preaching things that make me uncomfortable. Like he talks like about, I don't know, immigration. Oh. And how we like need to love all people, right? And maybe maybe the Christian, the Christian response to, to violence is to kind of stand with the victims that makes me really uncomfortable but you know my friend in Arizona he understands that preaching is about saving souls so he doesn't get into politics right yeah so i could go to my friend's church over the internet and never have to deal with any of this nonsense
0: yeah and i that happens and i would yeah. suggest that i have been guilty of something maybe <laughs> You know, if the sermon was just not going anywhere yep. and I was looking for a message that had some meat to it, yep. I might just tune into another church because I've got the choice yep. yep, on a Sunday morning of an awful lot of places. The other thing
1: I wonder about is how many people are actually doing worship from start to finish on Sunday morning. How many of them are, you know, if it was the TV, we'd say channels, channel surfing, right? Yeah. How many of them are church surfing?
0: as as soon as the sermon is over and tune into something else yeah 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 you know i've seen an example uh the episcopal uh there's an episcopal congregation that i'm aware of that uh, has a prayer of spiritual communion so when it comes time for the eucharist um there's a a prayer that says you know i I can't even though i can't receive your body and blood you know i'm trying to commune here um that was kind of new to me i i've never thought about it and yeah. i don't know why because in my entire life there's always been a catholic mass on on sunday morning right and they celebrate the eucharist um so i was kind of intrigued by that that prayer
1: yeah
0: i yeah. was also intrigued by the fact that they did not um this congregation did not share amongst the uh the leaders the 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 um people leading the liturgy they did not share the elements interesting yeah the
1: other thing that i've seen interesting i'll say two things is one i've seen online services that when they when they get to communion they don't show it they show so, a soloist or so huh. you can't take communion because it's not there um i find that interesting And what I have found is I decided early on that, that I would, I, I'm a communion guy. I like the sacrament, especially because I'm a preacher and like the sacrament after I've done a great job at preaching, because I work to do a great job at preaching. It takes a lot of effort. So it's nice to kind of receive, receive, receive. But I made the decision that I would not receive the sacrament until everybody could. Mm -hmm. So I think in the last two years, I could count on one hand the number of times I've received the sacrament because I've been in places where we need to do that. Um, but I spent more time um, in the Word. Uh. And you know, you mentioned I wrote a book. That, that when I read a book, it's a lot of Bible study. And what I found is, as Lutherans, we say Christ is present in the same way in the Word and in the sacrament. Um I found that my spiritual diet changed more word into to replace the sacrament. But I was, I was probably more full than I had been before the pandemic.
0: That, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, I chose not to commune at home.
1: Yeah. I no, we don't do that.
0: I, uh, I communed when it was available. Um, in ordination services when I was, did those in the parking lots. And and whenever I was in a worship service yeah, yep. um, that wasn't being televised somehow, yep. um, when I was live and in person, yeah. I would take communion. It yeah. was something in my own piety that just didn't allow for that. And I guess I, I was even slightly offended when some people took it to the extremes and said, well, just use whatever you got. I mean, go find yourself some, juice or apple juice and goldfish well, crackers and that just you know, i heard
1: that, of, i heard well i'm eating my cereal now it's it's cereal and milk so that counts
0: yeah yeah i just know that doesn't work for me
1: no nor me no 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 so one of the stories i tell in this book i've just written is short wait you know i was surprised when we quickly went to eucharistic we we online eucharist because you know I can remember as a kid, we did not have communion every Sunday. Right. Right. And in many congregations, we are still ready to tell baptized children that they need to wait eight, 10 years to receive communion. Right. Yes. But we don't want to wait. So I'm like, what is this all about? Why is this happening so fast? And, and the, the interesting thing is I had an older couple reach out to be me, members of the church, and they remembered those times when you received communion once a month. And their observation was that on the other three Sundays, the pastor really had to preach the gospel or there was no gospel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they wondered, have we allowed um, weekly communion to carry the freight of the gospel and turn the sermon into something else?
0: I have wondered that, too, because it seems to me that, in a way, we've made Holy Communion into something of an idol because we figured that worship is not possible if we don't celebrate Holy Communion. Now, I'm old enough to remember those days, too. In my childhood, Communion was celebrated once a month. And uh, I certainly wasn't allowed to take communion until after I was confirmed. Yep. Now, that's too old. That's too long. Now, I,
1: no, I, no I, I'm not saying those, those are, I think, those are not helpful practices. Right. But, but you know, so, that, so that these, this couple went on and said, maybe the answer is we need to figure out how to preach Jesus again.
0: But in my time as a pastor, see, the, the, the time we allot for a sermon has been shortened. Yep. You know, when I was in seminary, kind of the standard was twelve minutes. Yep. Um, when I was a kid, boy, a sermon went twenty or twenty-five minutes.
1: Yep.
0: yep. Now sermons are even shorter than that, and we claim that people don't have attention spans, and and that may be true because I don't have much of an attention span myself. But if you catch me, and if you if you are saying something important, right, and and meaty as i say um that the sermon is incredibly important to yes
1: yeah and it i mean it needs to be about
0: jesus it needs to be about jesus it needs to be about jesus yeah let's talk about preaching for a minute yeah uh, if you would um you know you've taught homiletics what do you think where where's the church falling down at the moment in terms of preaching the word?
1: The new book is preach, you know, preaching, preaching yoked to Jesus, reclaiming our calling. And what I am arguing is that at this point in it all, I think the most important um, ingredient in for a preacher is how closely and securely they are yoked to Jesus. Um, and because when we're, you know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, you and I say that to people at ordination. When, we, when they get their stole, um, when, they're, when we're yoked closely and securely to Jesus, um, we will make Jesus the goal of our, pre- proclaiming Jesus the goal of our preaching, and when we talk about other things, they will flow from our proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, I kind of think that if we had not lost that, our denomination would be in a totally different place. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the, part of that is, um, you know, we need to spend time with figuring out what it means for us today that Jesus saves. Um, Cause you know, I, I get a lot of pushback, like, well, we don't want to preach the theory that says, you know, the, the mean father, God needed a blood sacrifice. And I don't want to preach that either. <laughs> you know, that Jesus was our substitute. For his, I don't want to preach that either, but um, you know, there's, In writing this book, there's about thirty different understandings of salvation, and that's probably one of the the later of the classic ones. And there are better ones, so we need to we need to spend time asking and talking about what it means that Jesus saves today. So, yeah, you know, I need Jesus to save our country from division. I I do.
0: You, You need you need to repeat that, please.
1: I need Jesus to save our country from division. Okay. I do. You know, yeah. um, I do. I do. And I think I need Jesus to save our church from despair. Ah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems rather, it wasn't overnight, but I do think the church has fallen into despair.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Where is the joy, and why are we not able to um, experience that?
1: Yeah, yeah. And my 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 hunch is because we're asking leaders to do two things that may not fit together. One is to proclaim the unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ, which is joyous, and the other is to maintain or save the institutional church, Mm. which is not.
0: Is the institutional church worth saving?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the, the confessions say that the church of Jesus Christ will be there forever. Right. St. John's by the gas station may not be. So I used to go into congregations and, you know, you know, you probably get it too. Bishop, what can we do to grow? And Bishop, what is our church's future? And I used to just kind of say it. And what I thought, and my wife, you know, finally said, you need to learn to be more diplomatic. <laughs> I went to the one congregation where they were worshiping about 13. What's our future? And I said, well, I imagine that in a hundred years, you know, St. John's by the gas station isn't going to be there. Oh, they were offended thirteen people in a hundred years, but they were offended. Um, some of our congregations probably are not worth safe at least this will get me in trouble, but at least in Michigan, some of them are not
0: you know that may be may may be true uh somewhere in Illinois too yeah.
1: you know what what I'm thinking you know. When there, are, when there are four ELCA congregations within seven miles of each other, all trying to maintain a building. Right. When I was in upstate New York, that kind of happened. And a consultant came in and said to us, it's too bad you have so many ELCA churches in this community, because at best, your presence can be anemic. because you're putting in all your energy trying to maintain your
0: congregation. Yeah, and those buildings cost a lot of money.
1: Yep,
0: yep, they do. Uh, The idea of a digital body of Christ has been surfacing lately, not only as it pertains to worship, Yep. but as a particular kind of community that's very different than what we've experienced when we gathered in person. Do you think that the, the... what do you think the future will include, um, especially in terms of hybrid practice and engaging community? The question I have is, um, how do you define the assembly?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if you remember in the 90s, we all learned entertainment evangelism. <laughs> you learned yes. that? Where yes. you know, the congregation picks their target audience, right? And then right. you came to the target audience and tell everybody else, we love you, but go next door to some other right. church, Right. Um, And what we realized is, you know, everyone's picking the same target audience. We want, you know, affluent young people with kids who, right? (laughs) Um, And what we also realized is the kingdom of God, the reign of God, isn't target audiences. And so that kind of fell out of vogue in many places. Well, you know, as I'm talking to people who want to do this digital thing, it sounds like it's the same kind of target audience on the internet, uh, online rather than in person. So this, the same problems are there, I think. Um, I think hybrid worship is probably in one way or another here to stay. Um, but just as back in the days of the entertainment evangelism, you were supposed to do a seeker service and a service for the faithful, but most small congregations couldn't pull that off. So the faithful got the sermon for the seeker service. I wonder how many congregations are gonna have the ability to do in person and hybrid, your know, online, long term,
0: uh, especially when when worship needs to be done well, and yeah. if you're going to use both, I you know I think that uh, we're going to continue um, a hybrid model, yeah. and I think that there will be a lot more to learn, but uh, it'll be interesting to to talk about what it means to be an assembly. How do we develop community um, or maintain community? How do we get those online? Uh, yeah. opportunities? to uh, be full participants in a, of the life of a congregation even if it means not coming to a particular building. Right. Um, and what, has, has this question come to you and your synod yet? Um, what about a congregation developing a satellite congregation that's entirely digital? Yeah, we have not gotten that question.
1: We've gotten it from outside our synod. Like we want to come into your synod and do that. And we've said no.
0: I haven't had that uh, request. You know, it's been intriguing, and I've, I've heard the question floating around, but uh, I haven't had to, uh, to deal with that myself. Yeah.
1: No, we've just said we're not, we're not ready to go there yet. So I, I, there again, I want to know the implications before we do it.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, on um, Christmas Eve, uh, my pastor asked, us, asked me to preach um, at our church. Um, and it was it was a live stream service, so I was in the building as they were live streaming the service, and I was all I all I did was read the gospel, re- recite the Christmas story, the gospel, and preach, and I went home exhausted, not from preaching, but for wa- watching all that goes on to live stream a worship service. Mm-hmm. And I don't know
0: how congregations are going to be able to pull that off. We have uh, developed a little studio, a recording studio here in northern Illinois. Uh, And it's just crammed full of of stuff. Now, I'm I'm at home today um, because I'm talking to you and you're in Michigan. But uh, usually we record... um, In a comfy little uh, setting that we have created in uh, a congregations, uh, a classroom of a congregation. Um, But it's amazing the amount of equipment we have stuffed in that little room and what it takes to make me look good. (laughs) Yep, honestly, yes, yeah. You know, because they had three
1: cameras going and, you know, and my pastor said, well, you know, yeah, you could throw a a camera in the balcony, but what is that and that's what many of our congregations are able to do so i'm not i'm not i'm not judging those that are trying their best but it's there's going to have to be excellence in in online worship i think and then as far as community the big question i need help answering is we assume that to be a christian you need to belong to a community why I'm not challenging the premise, but I think until we answer it, we won't know where to go.
0: Okay, so when do you suppose that question is gonna get asked?
1: Well, it's interesting. I read a a book um, which I really liked called The Patient Ferment um, by Alan Kreider. And he says that in the first three centuries, there were plenty of places where there was maybe one or two Christians in a location.
0: Huh.
1: and christianity was a solitary faith so if the answer is we need to you need to be a christian to be in community because we need to keep our congregations going that's probably not going to be a convincing answer
0: Well, right. that's going to require some thought on my part, too, Mine because too. I, yeah. I have preached sermons <laughs> in the past that say yep. we need to be together in order to, to not only nurture our faith, but to propagate it and yep. to teach it to yep. others. Right. Wow. And so
1: for me, it was we need to be together to hear the word and receive the sacrament, right? Yeah. That the church, what does the confession say the church is?
0: Well, we've decided, no, we don't. But, right. You know, I have I have started a thousand sermons by saying I'm glad to be here this morning to worship with you to hear God's word to share in God's sacraments. But that's basically just the way God made me. I need yeah. to worship, and in my head, the, the definition of worship included being in the assembly. Yep, mine too. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh, and then God. the whole week the whole week is off because you didn't go to church.
0: That's right. Yep. That's right. And that's just, I can't, I can number the, I'll probably number the, the Sundays I haven't been in church in my lifetime on one hand. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not very many. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic changed that. And right, I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that's the question is why do we need to come together and,
0: and maybe a baby, I have that built in need, but other people don't.
1: Right. Is that a generational need? Because that's the way we were taught.
0: But at this point in my life, uh, frankly, I don't think that I could be a Christian in in solitude. I, I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah, no.
1: No. I would fall away.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, Craig, you're making me think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is what I sit in my basement
0: thinking about. <laughs> well, you know, I, I gauge things by my blood pressure. I can just feel my heart rate and blood yeah. pressure going up thinking about this. So, yeah, um, one of your areas of uh, of expertise, at least I consider it so, is uh, preaching. Yeah. And i uh, uh, got a question about preaching. What are some preaching recommendations that you would make for those of us who... Uh, are maybe struggling to uh, to preach the word during this pandemic time because we're just not done with it yet.
1: No, and we're not going to be. The, the first question I would ask is, when was the last time you heard a good sermon? <laughs> uh, because the tank is, our, our personal tanks are getting empty. Yeah. So when is the last time, you know, a preacher heard a good sermon for them? And if it's been a while, go find one um there there's plenty of good preaching on youtube um you can call a colleague you can call a kid you can call i used to go see the shut-ins when i needed good sermons and read the text and say what does this mean and Uh, they say oh pastor you're why smarter than me and i'm like yeah you're older what does this mean and they would tell you you know (laughs) um so that's the first thing um Second thing I think is the more complicated things are getting, the more we need to get back to basics. So Sunday is the baptism of our Lord, and I get to preach, and um, I'm just reading like the setup that John the Baptist gives Jesus. You know, after me comes one I'm not worthy. The thong, you know, he's going to clear the threshing floor, all that good stuff, right? So what I expect Jesus to do is to kind of push John up, show up, push John up the stage and kind of pick up where John left off. If I don't know the story, that's what I've been set up for, right? Right. Jesus is standing in line with the crowds. And he shows up at the end of the line. And he doesn't replace John. He submits to John. Jesus shows up as one of us. Rather than being on the stage with John the Baptist, Jesus is in the crowds with us. I'm getting chills. Yeah. Because I'm expecting a long, dark winter, a long, difficult winter. Right. And I think, though, you know, don't look for Jesus on the stage making it all better or telling you you're doing it wrong. Look for Jesus behind you. In it with you and if you forget that that's when we remember we're baptized yeah that's a very simple message and that's what i'm going to preach
0: uh, that's wonderful um preaching for me has has uh as a parish pastor it was always relational yeah. i had this relationship with the people with whom i was sharing god's word
1: yeah
0: um I've been on Synod staff for a long time, and I preach in a different place every week. So I don't have that same kind of relationship with the people. I think that what happened during the pandemic is that for many pastors, um, they lost the, the weekly contact because they weren't seeing people. They weren't able to visit in the hospitals. They weren't able to visit in the nursing homes. And so they didn't have those older people to say, tell me what this means. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So, you know, in, in a sense, I think people were probably preaching in a vacuum, which took all the more energy. Right. And right. I think that's one of the reasons that so many um, are running on empty. Yeah. Along yep. with the fact that everything has been different, and they've had to to do things in ways they never anticipated, doing things they weren't trained to do, and it's just been a lot of hard.
1: I think that's right. So I, I, we don't know what's going on in individual lives as well, but we know what's going on in the corporate life, you know, and in the life of the, of the community. And maybe we preach to people that way. Mm, yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometime I'll, I want to talk to you about uh, preaching as a Bishop because I've found that uh Preaching as a bishop is very different, too, because people expect you to say something important <laughs> every yeah, time. I mean,
1: they, they know that they may get to hear us two three times.
0: Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. If you remind me, I wrote a paper called, uh, it's in Latin, but it's basically preaching as a bishop. I'll send it to you.
0: Oh, I, I'd appreciate okay. that very much.
1: That. Yep, yep. Be glad to do that.
0: So Craig, um, are there any questions that you might've hoped that I would ask you today that I have not? No, this has been a good workout. I have really appreciated kind of thinking it through to prepare for it.
1: Um, no, this has been great fun.
0: Well, it's been, uh, even more fun for me because it didn't require too much on my part, but now I've got a headache from thinking. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just so appreciate your taking the time to, uh, and uh, with the uh, Northern Illinois Synod today, and with me, and uh, your thoughts, I uh, I appreciate uh, being in your presence every time that occurs. And, and I hope I, I hope I get to see you again real soon.
1: But we, do you think we're gonna gather in March?
0: We're gonna be together in March, hopefully. Sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Satterly. It's been a joy. And until the next time, I want to remind you that I am walking with you.